When we look around us in our world, oftentimes we see things that may weigh us down. Uh, all you have to do is uh, click on a news channel and you're going to see evil, you're going to see violence, you're going to see different types of sin. And when we choose to focus on that, it begins to weigh us down. And we have questions like, why is our world the way it is? How can we have hope in such an imperfect world? That's what we're going to talk about today. My message is entitled, Ultimate Hope. So let's go back in time, let's go back in history for a few minutes and recall why our world is the way it is. In the beginning, that's how Genesis 1-1 begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And as we go through the account of creation, he created a man and a woman named Adam and Eve. And he placed them in a beautiful paradise, which is called the Garden of Eden. And in that paradise setting, Adam and Eve walked with God and they talked with God. In that garden, there was no suffering, there was no death, there was no pain, there was no sin. It was a place of beauty, it was a place of joy, it was a place of a relationship with God. But then something dreadful happened, an alien being, a, a serpent, tempted Eve to do something contrary to what God had told them to do, and she disobeyed God in sin. And that very first sin catapulted the entire creation. In fact, Scripture tells us the universe underneath the curse of sin. And that curse of sin brought death. It disrupted the garden paradise in a multitude of ways. Romans 8.22, the verses are written out in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It's in there too, I think, amongst everything else. It's got the verses in the outline there. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so this groaning, and we sense it within ourselves, is a result of the curse of sin which brought evil, it brought death, brought suffering into the world. And even we as, as believers groan under the same curse. The next verse says not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so in this verse, we see that even believers groan because of the situation that we find ourselves in. But this verse gives us hope because this life is not all that there is. We look forward to an ultimate hope beyond this life, a hope in which the curse of sin will be completely removed, both from our bodies and from our entire world. I'd like us to watch a short video about that hope based on this passage in Romans chapter 8. It's called the hope of freedom. So a day is coming, the Bible calls it the day of the Lord, in which the entire cosmos is going to be changed. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so everything that we know, everything that we see in the heavens and the earth is going to be burned up and dissolved. Everything that has been contaminated 
by this curse of sin that we've talked about. But that's not the end. The next verse, verse 13 says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so God is going to create a new heavens. He's going to create a new earth where only righteousness dwells. There will be no sin. There will be no evil, no violence, no suffering. And that will be our home for eternity with God. And so today, this is the final message in our series, Discovering Hope. We're going to look at what the prophet Isaiah has to say about our ultimate, ultimate hope of eternity. And so when we look around us at our world today, at the evil, the sin, the suffering, we ground inside. It's something's not right. Something's wrong. But we know, and we know that this is not the way things are supposed to be, but we have hope. And that's what God wants to give each of us this morning, hope from the Holy Spirit, who tells us that God has a plan for a new creation. And so no matter what you're going through today, you can have hope for the future as we look at and believe God's promise. Isaiah 61, the prophet writes and says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now this scripture, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah, was read by Jesus in Luke chapter 4, indicated that it referred to himself. Now we see in this verse, we see the results of the curse of sin. We see people who are poor don't have enough to get by in life. We see people who are brokenhearted by many causes. We see people who are captives or who are in prison, enslaved and bound in different ways. But Jesus came to break that curse of sin to, to bring good news, to bring healing, to bring deliverance to those afflicted by the curse. And God promises to bring complete restoration to the hurting in our world one day. Jesus began that mission in his ministry here on earth. Isaiah continues in verse 2. He says, And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the day of the Lord. To comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And so Jesus, the promised Messiah, began the mission to reverse the curse of sin. And to bring God's blessing into the world. And so as we read the accounts of his ministry in the Gospels, he comforted those who mourned. Those who believed in him were, were transformed to begin to praise him. They were given strong roots in God so that they could be called oaks of righteousness. In fact, those who believed in and followed Jesus began to live in and experience the blessings of the age to come, even in this age. And we can also begin to experience those blessings. And yet Jesus' mission was only begun in his life on this earth. In the future, Jesus will complete the mission. 
Verse 8, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring, speaking of believers, their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. And so the prophet looks beyond the earthly ministry of Jesus. He looks to the time when the whole world will acknowledge the followers of Jesus, that they've been blessed by God. And this covenant or promise that God is making with believers is an everlasting covenant. It's going to go on forever and ever. And so the completion of Jesus' ministry, the entire eradication of the curse of sin, the defeat of the ultimate or the final enemy, death, on this planet will only come when Jesus returns the second time. And so you and I live in what some theologians have called the already and not yet period of history. The already and not yet period. Already we partake in blessings of being a believer in Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven. We have everlasting life. We have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We have a community of friends in the church family. But not yet do we have complete victory over sickness. Not yet do we have complete victory over death. People still die. Not yet do we have complete victory over sin. We are surrounded in our world, as we began to talk about, with evil, violence, and sin. Unbelievers doing unrighteous things. And so, heaven has not yet come down to earth in fullness. That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, we long for heaven to come down to earth, but it has not yet completely come down. Not yet has evil been judged. Not yet has the last enemy of death been eliminated. And so we live in this already not yet period of history between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Already we do see some of the supernatural power of the kingdom breaking into our world. We saw it in the ministry of Jesus. The sick were healed. Even some, a few, dead were raised. We see it continuing in the book of Acts, indicating that it wasn't just through Jesus, but through his church. These supernatural blessings would continue, and we see it continuing down through our day. But the kingdom is not yet here in its fullness. And so how do we live in this already not yet tension? Well, we pray. We pray for God's intervention. The prophet writes in verse 1 of chapter 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, this is a prayer to God, and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And so the prophet prays that God would, as it were, tear open the heavens and come down through that opening to the earth, that the very mountains would quake and tremble at his presence coming down. So the prophet was praying for an open heaven in which the power of God would impact our world. And if you're a believer here today, your heart longs for an open heaven. Your heart longs for us to see more of God's power in our lives and in our world. And God answers those kind of prayers. That is the Father's heart. And the answer to those kind of prayers brings revival in different places and people groups on our planet. And to build our faith, to pray that way, we must reflect on God's past, past works. 
Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of all, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. And so after the prophet prays for God to rend the heavens and come down, he, he reflects on times when God did come down in the past. Perhaps he was thinking of God's presence on the top of Mount Sinai. A consuming fire when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and the whole mountain quaked. Or perhaps Isaiah was remembering God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt by miraculous signs and wonders, plagues that finally delivered Israel and led them or perhaps Isaiah might have been remembering how God helped defeat the enemies of Israel as they came into the promised land and defeated their enemies and took possession. As the prophet thinks back at God's acts in the past, he becomes keenly aware of his own sins. He knows that sin in the past and in his present and in our day, sin will stand in the way of God's intervention. Sin will prevent the heavens from being opened and pouring out God's blessing into our lives. And so we need to repent of our sins if we want to see God come down, if we want to see the heavens opened in a, in a greater way. Verse 6, prophet writes, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind blow or take us away. So Isaiah is now speaking as a representative of the people of Israel. They were unclean. The things they had done that they considered righteous, they thought were good, were, were simply filthy rags in God's sight. And rather than flourishing as oaks of righteousness, the picture here is as dried leaves being blown before the wind of their own sin. But by recognizing their sins, they, they now call on God for forgiveness. Verse 9, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And so the prophet is asking God for forgiveness for his sins, the sins of the people there around him, the followers of God. And with the repentance of sin, the door for God to intervene on behalf of his people is once more open. And so there are two types of interventions that we pray for God to do. The first type of prayer is for God to intervene in our situation in the already time, the time in which we are living. You know, the theme of the Southern Missouri District of Assemblies of God for 2019 is open heaven. And we are praying for God to rend the heavens, to come down with his power. We're praying for God to save people, to heal people, to deliver people, to bless people. We're praying for a supernatural demonstration of God's power for revival in our lives, in our churches and in our city. We do look back. We look back at the times in the Bible where God moved in power. 
in supernatural ways. And as we remember, God helps our faith to grow in our time. We look inwardly at our own lives. Say, God, search my heart. Is there anything in me that's preventing you from moving in my life? And what God reveals to us, we repent, we turn away, that our prayers would be answered. The second type of prayer for God's intervention is for Jesus to come again. That's our ultimate hope. We look forward to eternity. Prophet writes in Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And so the prophet is now looking to the time after Jesus' second coming, when he comes back to earth the second time, in which God creates this new heavens and the new earth. Many people view eternity as being in heaven forever, you know, floating on the clouds, uh, plucking a harp with the angels. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The old heavens and the earth are going to pass away. The new heavens and the new earth, they'll come after Jesus returns to the earth. And the sin, evil, and suffering that we see all around us in this present earth will be gone forever. And we won't even remember it. It will be a time to rejoice in the new creation. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And so in those new heavens, those new earths, we're going to be glad, we're going to rejoice for eternity. As wonderful as our present earth and heavens are, and they're absolutely amazing. They are corrupted by sin. And the new heavens and new earth will be perfect. They will be flawless. They will far surpass anything that we now experience. The Jerusalem the prophet is speaking of here is the new Jerusalem. It's spoken of in the book of Revelation. It's a city in which believers will live, will live in that new Jerusalem. And God will once again walk and talk with his people. We will see him face to face. Now we, we can't see him. We hear him speak to us. We sense the presence of his spirit, but we don't see him. He sees us, we don't see him. In those new heavens and new earth, God will walk and talk with his people just as he did in the Garden of Eden before the fall. In fact, this new Jerusalem, the Bible, or the prophet is talking about here, will be the paradise of Eden restored forever. God himself will rejoice, it says, and be glad in his children. There will be no more sadness. We read this in Revelation as well, which speaks of many things that Isaiah spoke of. There'll be no more weeping. There'll be more, no more distress, no more sin. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. No more sickness, 
And so we can look forward with a confident hope in God's blessing. No more colds. <laughs> this isn't my normal voice. We will hope in God's blessing. Verse 25, it says, The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here we have a poetic picture of life in eternity. I love that verse. I mean, you could picture it. No longer will the wolf be a predator that eats the lamb. But together they're going to graze on grass. No longer will the king of the beasts, the lion, kill everything in its path. And the serpent that caused the temptation in the Garden of Eden will no longer cause harm. I guess it's just going to go along and eat dust. It's not going to hurt anybody. There will be no more evil. No more violence, no more effects of the curse and the new creation. The animals and nature itself will be released from the curse. As Paul writes in Romans, even creation itself is groaning under this curse of sin. The new heavens and new earth, the new universe will be paradise restored to God's original intent and purpose. And so whatever you're going through in life, you can put your hope in God's blessing in eternity. God does not promise us a perfect life. God does not promise us a life without any pain or suffering. In fact, God doesn't promise us a life without sickness. God doesn't promise us a life without death. We're all going to die unless Jesus returns before it's our time. But what he does promise us is an eternity far beyond anything we can imagine. And that hope, that ultimate hope, can help us live our lives today with courage as we follow God's direction no matter what we encounter in life. Last week I heard a story about a seven-year-old girl in India whom I'll call Sasha. Sasha was born into a Brahmin caste family in India. And that is the highest caste in India. So you are kind of considered elite or royalty if you're born into the Brahmin caste. Sasha's mother was a Brahmin priestess. And she consulted the demonic Hindu gods on a regular basis and even saw supernatural things happen in their house and home. Now somehow in God's providence, Sasha heard from a childhood friend as she was in school about another god, a more powerful god than any of the Hindu gods, and his name was Jesus. And in secret, she would steal away from her home and go read the Bible with her friend. And sometimes she would go to a house church without her family or parents noticing. But eventually, Sasha's mother found out about her daughter's new faith, which was totally contrary to everything that she believed and she stood for. 
And she came to Sasha and she demanded that she renounce Jesus. And Sasha said, no, I won't. He's my friend. I'm going to follow Jesus. Her mother flew into a rage. She locked Sasha up into a room. And she gave her only water for two weeks. She thought this would reduce her will to follow Jesus. She'd be come out of there begging her mother uh, for food and would do whatever her mother wanted. The end of the time when the mother opened the door expecting to find Sasha weak and ready to renounce her newfound faith, Sasha had been praying the whole time, getting closer to Jesus and she was miraculously healthy and well. And she told her mother that my Jesus is more powerful than your God. Her mother got even angrier. She tied her up, took her to the backyard, took out a knife and slit both of her wrists and Sasha began to bleed. But she didn't seem to get any weaker. So her mother went back into the house and got a can of kerosene that came out and poured it on Sasha and said, this is your last chance in this life to renounce Jesus. So I said, no, I won't. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what happens to me. And so the mother took out her matchbook and she tried to strike the first match and it wouldn't strike. Took the next one and it wouldn't strike. Went through the whole book of matches and they wouldn't light. Again, Sasha told her mother that Jesus was more powerful than any of the gods that her mother worshipped. And so Sasha lived and she was finally able to escape from her family. She took refuge in a Christian church. Eventually, she was trained in an Assembly of God, India College of Ministry, that is training thousands of believers in India. And she's currently pastoring a house church that she's planting. And this is, you know, years later from her childhood, and she's looking to plant another one. And the reports are that India is now experiencing an open heaven. Uh, India is experiencing revival beyond anything they've known. There are thousands of students graduating from this college of ministry every year. And before they get their degree of completion, they have to plant a church and report back how that church is going before they actually get their certificate. And there are thousands of house churches being planted from Hindus turning away from the worship of their demonic gods, idols, and turning to worship the one true God, Jesus Christ. And so what made young Sasha, even at such an early age, what made her so strong, what made her so courageous in the face of death? Well, even at that young age, she knew that her faith was in Jesus, that she had an ultimate hope of eternity. And she was not going to deny him. She was not going to turn away from him. She knew that even if she died, she would be with Jesus forever. Even if she died, he would have a place prepared for her in heaven 
and ultimately in that new heavens and that new earth, a place with no more suffering, no more pain, no more death. And through her faith, God supernaturally spared Sasha's life so that she could serve him as she grew up now as a church planter, as an evangelist leading others to Jesus. And so that's a story for each of us as well. Whatever you're going through in life, whatever you're facing, God wants to give you hope. He wants to be with you right now. And he wants to be with you forever. God wants to give you hope in your situation that you're not alone. And as you pray for, to him, he's going to be with you. But our ultimate hope is in eternity. One day we'll be with Jesus forever and ever. We're going to be secure in that new heavens and the new earth. And so today, if you want to have that ultimate hope in your life, the hope that gives you the courage to face anything that you're going through, I want to give you an opportunity to have the same faith that Sasha had. To become a believer in Jesus, you need to do three things. You need to admit that you've sinned. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is simply doing what you want to do with your life rather than what God wants you to do. And we all have a conscience God has put within us and we know when we do wrong things. We admit that we've sinned. We believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. We ask him to forgive us, to come into our lives, and then we commit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior. So I'd like to ask us all to bow our heads. And if you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before, or perhaps you made some commitment in the past, but you feel like you strayed away from that commitment, I'd like to encourage you to pray along with me. Just pray along, agree with my words in your own mind. And God hears your thoughts. He knows what your heart is. It's not a matter of getting every word right. It's a matter of trusting Him. So let's pray. Father, today, I admit that I've done wrong things. I've sinned. I've gone my own way. I've done things I knew were wrong that hurt others and hurt you. Today, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, took my sins upon himself, that I might be forgiven. He paid the price that I should have paid for my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you all the days of my life as my Lord and Savior. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today, we thank you for this ultimate hope that you have for us. Today, no matter what we're going through, no matter how difficult our circumstances we make a choice to believe God's promise of an eternal reality beyond this life. Eternal reality with Him. God, we pray for you to intervene in our situations today with your supernatural power. We believe you have the power. We ask for an open heaven that you would rend the heavens and pour out your blessing upon our lives our families, our children, our church family, and our city. We thank you for what you're going to do as we continue to turn our hearts towards you. 
And yet, Lord, we, we recognize, we realize that our ultimate hope is when Jesus returns again. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, we can't wait for you to transform everything. We can't wait to see your kingdom in its fullness. And so we long for that, for those new heavens and those new earths in which righteousness dwells. The place that you're going to create, a place where there'll be no more death, no more sickness, no more crime, no more pain, no more suffering. A place of rejoicing, a place of joy. Paradise restored. The Garden of Eden, as it were, us walking and talking with you forever. And so we thank you for that ultimate hope. We thank you that with that hope in our lives, we can face any situation that may come with courage, strength, and faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.